0: Welcome to This Old App, a podcast about learning, coding, smashing stuff together, breaking things apart, startups, failing, winning, and any other buzzwords we can think of. Hey, Don. Um, this week, let's talk about relational databases versus document databases.
1: All right. So, useful versus non useful. Got it. <laughs>
0: We're gonna be positive about all technologies presented.
1: Oh, to, until okay. the
0: until the end when we have proven that one of them doesn't make any sense. <laughs>
1: well, I'm excited. Let's let's talk about all the
0: positives. Well, let's. I don't. I am I, I probably need to go on MongoDB and see how they sell document data stores. I mean, well, first let's rewind and tell, say out loud what the heck we're talking about. So we've got on one side, we've got relational databases. They've been around for a long time. Um, I use, that was the first thing I used. The first database I ever used was Lotus one, two, three. It was just a spreadsheet with rows. Right. A, a Not table really a
1: database, but yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, by the definition okay. of a persistence layer data store, it's a mechanism to store things and persist it. So I always all right.
1: I'll, I'll let campus. you go with it.
0: And I always tell that to my students. So don't argue with me on that.
1: <laughs>
0: but <laughs> um, but now but then you take the next step for me was Microsoft Access, and that was essentially the ability to take a lot of these Excel tables. And link them together, associate them with relationships between them, foreign keys, primary keys, and I—I I actually got a lot done with Microsoft Access until we would hit the limits. The Microsoft had always put a governor on them um, because they didn't want people using it as production because it was right. cheap. But uh, I was with a company for a decade that was in the millions of dollars and they had a system built on access and they kept using it. And every year we would delete all the stuff, all the records that and migrated it to um, like other formats for auditing. And sure. we just kept using access until they finally moved off of it um, late in my time there. So then um, otherwise I've used SQL server. That's Microsoft's, Enterprise level relational database um, in the open source world. I used My, MySQL. I think we use we both used MySQL. That was the backend for Drupal for the most part, right? Um, PostgreS is what I have moved to mainly because of the work in Heroku and Rails community is really strong with that. But you know. I feel like my entire career on the data layer on the persistence layer has always been, has always involved relational databases for the most part. And then in the last five to six years, the, as JavaScript became more predominant and JSON became like the payload sent over the wire format instead of XML, We got data stores that store data as objects or as like what looks like a JavaScript, a JSON format or JavaScript object. Sure. And uh, so I've uh, resisted it for a long time, even looking at them because I didn't need them. Like I I just had no reason to switch away from relational because I just wasn't ever thinking. Saying to myself, "Is there a better way to do this?" Because learning once you learn structured query language SQL, the mechanism to do CRUD create, read, update, delete, you really are you have a tremendous amount of control with a relation a SQL based relational database for sure. Um, I guess the biggest issue with relational databases may be scale. They may cap out at a number that I'm not aware of myself, but I know that eventually people using relational databases have to do something called sharding, S-H-A-R-D, splitting the databases so that the capacity and indexes and whatever, what have you is more efficient because you've capped out on what it takes to store backup and query one of these databases. There's so much data in it. Apparently I, right. I've been very fortunate. Well, I, I guess I should say I have I haven't run into the problem of needing to do mess with that, that way, like mess with scaling that way. Um, we've usually found that a lot of the excess of data was not necessary to keep. And so we didn't need to shard a database, but that may be like most of the businesses I've worked with that did well with the product. We built them volume. Wasn't their key volume of data. Didn't, wasn't an indicator of their success. Um, because they had big ticket items they were selling or something. If you get into like retail at a level of Amazon or something, you're talking about millions of transactions a day maybe or something, or at least a week. So right. that's when you start to hit those, um, barriers. The other area, I think you hit like you have two different types of uses for a data store. Maybe you have transactional and analytical, I guess and transactional being like hey users are creating orders and submitting new items to the database and we that it's co- it's allowing business to get done and you model your data your tables and your data in a way that makes it efficient for transactions to be recorded and executed and then on the other side is after you've collected all that data you want to analyze it you want to look at it um, Processing the numbers, um, critiquing it—I don't know, like any number of ways that you will ob- analyze, observe, and extract data, um, derivative data from what was a collection of the transactional data. Right, and I, and I think you've done more of that than I have. I've done a little bit of it, but I, again, I didn't really have to. Change. Eh, I changed a little bit. I did denormalize, um, or I I took the relational structure of many tables and put them into one to eliminate the joins, which were slowing down some analytical queries. Right. But so I guess I have messed with it that way. So all of that's being said, that's on the relational side.
1: Well, let, let me. Right? Let, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here for a second because. Yep. Uh, I, I, I like digging into this stuff. Um, so the how old do you think relational databases are? When, when do you think they, they were invented and when do you think they actually came into normalized use?
0: If I started using them 20 years ago and I would give them about 10 years of use before that, most likely, which means they were in they were theoretical for about ten to fifteen years before that. Right. My well, guess is you could go back about forty to fifty of use in my mind.
1: Yeah. So so it it looks like it the 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 theoretical started in the seventies. That's when they started to develop IBM developed something called System R, um, mm-hmm. which was essentially the the prototype and it, it first commercially, uh, the first commercial database was Oracle, um, yeah. in, in 79. Um, so I, I, wa- I, I looked at that because I actually, when I was, when I was in college, I remember the big, thick burgundy leather bound, our relational database textbook that we got, um, and, and so that was eighty nine ninety. I assume they'd been around forever, and here it is; they'd only been around ten years.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, so it kind of surprised me that they're 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 actually that young. Um, but yeah, no. The uh, it, I, I digressed for a minute, but looking at the rankings, they're they're really at the at the very top are are all the relational databases, right? Oracle, MySQL um and microsoft sql server yeah. um and enterprise is oracle and, and microsoft with mysql taking up all the hobby um, layer hobby plus layer i'll say yeah um and and now to transition to what you were saying about performance and and scalability um at aspire to you it's something worse we're working on right now is yeah. We we're, we're working on continuing to make our database smaller and smaller to improve performance because um, we've got it set into a couple different ones, but they're still very large databases. So writes take a while, um, yeah. reads take a little bit, and, and we're pushing some boundaries um, on on the size we've got in there. So. If we're able to scale it down, we're gonna we we A are gonna get some performance improvements, and B, we think the cost will go down a bit, even though we'll have more actual databases, they're gonna be smaller and yeah. require less memory. So we think we're gonna we're gonna get some cost savings there as well. Um so yeah, no, I I, I wanted to wanted to dive just a little bit into that RDBMS history a little before we got into um, document store um, databases. So,
0: I so you know I was always bumping on the edge of document databases just because they were the new flavor of the day, and you could hear the hype train coming down the track. And no matter what I did, when I would look at starting it, I just remember thinking it's interesting to store your data just as the, like you're sending it over the wire because whenever you use rails, like let's say you're using rails and you're using Postgres SQL on the back. Um, when you send over, like if you hit that API, you're sending the data in a JSON format, which is how it looks like it's stored on Mongo. And right. So I think that there is like this, you know, people got this idea that it's better to store your data just as like you transport it, um, and and maybe it was more understandable to folks learning JavaScript and um, JSON and APIs is like, hey, you get to store your data that way too, right? But I I. But what I guess I'm at a loss for, and, and now let's go, I'll keep going on the, what document data stores are. So now the different, the ones that I know about, you have Mongo as the probably the main commercial um, open source uh, database for document data stores that I am aware of. You also have Google... Which which started out with real time database, which really was a just a JSON object of sorts, and then you ha- and then they also said, hey, all this is not this is worse than a document data store. <laughs> We're going to create right. a Google Firestore, which will actually work just like Mongo does with documents and collections and shallow queries. And the ability to e- more easily create indexes, which I'll get into later. But then there's also, I think, Amazon Dynamo. Is that their version?
1: Yeah, DynamoDB, which they actually describe as as both a document store and a key value store. Um, okay. So you can you can go either way on it, and key value store being one less one level of complexity even further down. To where all you're storing is a key and a value, um, no no depth there, yeah. um, which is kind of like Redis.
0: Yeah, it's like yeah, that's Redis this is in my world, um, or in every world, but <laughs> as I've known it. And then, I like, there's other ones out there. I know, I know. CouchDB is what people use on mobile devices a lot. Um, PouchDB is another. There's a lot of different ones. Um,
1: yeah, Couch Couchbase is actually the next largest. Uh, so as far as document stores go, Mongo's the largest by a good margin. Um, and then you get DynamoDB and then Couchbase, and then you start getting to where the numbers don't matter. Absolutely. Um,
0: so I didn't really mess with that stuff too much until I ended up teaching that class, the boot camp last year, where we were teaching Firebase, which I had barely flirted with by that point, and MongoDB. We we taught all three. Da- we taught three different data stores: Firebase, real time database, a um, MySQL, and Mongo. Right and. Then a number of the tutorial um, folks that I watch, some of them started using Mongo and some of their examples, and I kind of just played along and built whatever they were building. Right. And I got to say, I still don't get it. <laughs> um, I don't, maybe if the answer is sharding is easier scaling is easier then i i can understand that 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 is worth a lot to a lot of people but i don't understand like i never have needed ultra like very like one of the key sales pitches is you could have flexible documents meaning you could have a person with a first name and a middle name and a last name. with a, And then on another user document, it would just be first name and last name. Or if it's like Morrissey or Seal, they just have name. So you can have this flexibility where the keys change and one document isn't the same as the next, which to me is actually horrible um, in the way I've seen it. But... I mean, I've seen bastardized tables with well. Uh, let, Drupal, let me jump the triple as an example.
1: But yeah, sure, um, sure. Let me jump in there real quick because I'm going to try and play devil's advocate just a little. That's fine um, because I think we're. Uh, I think this is the blind leading the blind here when we're talking about document yeah. store. <laughs> yeah, but so so your example was actually really good. In a in a relational database, you would have first name, last name, first name, middle name, last name, um, maybe um, spoken name or, or or preferred name. Yeah, um, and so you you would fill all that out, and then you come across somebody like Seal or yeah. Morrissey, which they have full names. Okay, but you may not know it. So your 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 database probably has required fields of first and last name um, in order to be unique, right? But now you don't know it. So now you're having to go seal, and then for the last name, you're putting no last name. Yeah. Um. And, and you're 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 bastardizing it that way, as you said. Um, whereas with a document store, you can do exactly what you said. You have first name, last name, you have someone that just says name, and then you let your code deal with it.
0: Okay, but so um, what? So but I'm gonna just I'm gonna jump in here. So what? Like doesn't does a, does a no, null no, no. value? Does a null
1: value matter? But it does. It, because if if your code sit here sits here and says, does it have a first name and a last name? Yes. Great. OK, we'll go down this logic path to, to fill out the, the form or whatever. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't have first name, last name. It just has name. OK, we can take that as well and we'll just put it in that same display area. So it, it's the, the data. The, the point I was going to try and make is the data is better described. With a document store. Than with a relational database, when you look at the data, you go, okay, I know what's going on here. When you look at a relational database and you do those bastardizations we're talking about, you're all of a sudden going, okay, I think I see why they did that. But okay, that's a pain in the neck. Now I got to deal with it. So I, I, if I'm going to try and be positive about document store, that's that's one way of thinking about it is the, do- the data is properly described. And by, so anybody looking at it can can deal with it. By the way, if you
0: say Seal's real name, you can't listen to anything but Kiss by a Rose for the next 24 hours, <laughs> which is the worst song I think I've ever had stuck in my ears. Uh-oh,
1: there go all, all our Seal fans.
0: <laughs> no, I, love, I liked his first album. It was just that was a turning point where I couldn't listen to him anymore. But oh, okay. Anyway, <laughs> but anyway, I mean... I guess I can understand how you might feel that's better, uh, but I don't, I mean, I've dealt with usernames and the very weird variations of them, especially when we were doing the fantasy stuff, fantasy sports. Oh, for sure. And there's nothing like athlete names, um, especially in, uh, baseball that just throws you for a loop. Um, And also when Japanese players are mixed into that too. So the, uh, yeah, I just wonder, I I don't understand. I didn't know the pain points that people were having that said, Oh, I want Mongo to, I want a document store because of this problem, because I just didn't feel it was a problem. Now, what I was going, what I was saying before we took, Discuss what you were saying was in Drupal. We had this concept of a node. It was the basically the content table for a the Drupal content management system. And if sure. you if you created custom content types, so you went from starting with a blog and then you decided to add um, let's say people, you would have like the blog data on a column, title, body, publish date, whatever, author. And then you would also have first name, last name, date of birth, age, because you just kept making this content table bigger and bigger. Right. Now, if you still, if you built a content management system and really felt like you need to put every type of content in the same document or same table, that's when this Mongo document thing starts to make more sense, because you are going to have complete content types that have widely different data, um, and the description and it can
1: grow and shrink without any real issues, and yeah. and no, no you are not hitting hard walls that you can't go up against. Yeah, it, it the the flexibility makes sense. Um, I think that's one of the major advantages. Um, and, and supposedly the performance, but I, 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 don't even, I don't even necessarily agree with performance,
0: but then when it came to building anything I did in, in rails and probably Laravel now and node and you, you come upon the concept of models and every bit, every content type basically has a kind of a, what we call a model that helps to manage the persistence side of that content. Content type, so you now have a person, a blog, like a post, an order, um, you know, a grade. If like all sorts, like you no longer merge it all together. Drupal is doing that because they had a they were building this content management system that was trying to to be the the single source of all content that a website would need. But if once you get outside of that world you don't even, you never do it that way. Like you're, you segment your tables and you segment your documents to represent the real life data that, that that you're trying to store. So that's one selling point people talk about. I don't find it to be worth it. Like I don't see a reason not to use relational for that purpose personally. Um, what I started when we, now the other thing that people talk about is the sharding, the um, splitting of the document. It's easier to shard. And I just don't know if it is or not. And Have you ever sharded a database?
1: Yeah, we're in the middle of it and it's, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, it is, it, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. And, I guess I, I guess what they're saying is that with a rela- with a document store, it's really just you you slice it up and you go. Um, whereas with a relational database, you got to move everything at once, or else you're having to cross shards in order to find all the related data. So and that's not uh,
0: a question not I've to- had. I know that sharding is hard if you are using auto increment IDs because you can get into this area where you split the database, the table, and then you've got one, two, three, four, five on this side, and then starting at a thousand on the other side, but then both of these tables may grow and it doesn't know what to auto increment on. So... What, but, so I, the last five years, I've never used auto-incrementing IDs on relational databases because it seemed like a UUID, a completely unique identifier that is almost rare to ever be duplicated in the same um, app, seemed like it would protect from that complexity So my question to you is: Does do you think that's the biggest one of the biggest parts of sharding? Difficulty is auto increment IDs.
1: It's a problem, but really, it. I think part of it is also the cross node transactions. Mm -hmm. Um. So if you've got a a database with twenty tables, um you've got to when you do the sharding you've got to try and pull all that related data into the similar nodes or you've lost all the benefits of of sharding mm-hmm. um, like for for what we do for aspire edu, there's not a whole lot of uh, d- if any and and now that I say that there's actually none um, database that, one client would use and another client would use the same data there it's all pretty firewalled away as far as this client needs these rows from this table and so on and so forth Um, so when you're doing the sharding you got to pull all those rows out and put them all on the same node Um, that's really one of the major complications Um,
0: right when you shard when you shard, are you putting an index on the front of both of the databases then so that a request knows which one to hit?
1: You have to put some sort of shard key management in there, yes. Okay. That's what um, so so it, it's certainly part of it. And, and again, that's another level of complexity. Um, so really the, the direction we're going is... We're we're actually going to go a step further than sharding, which is to create different databases for each client. Um, mm-hmm. So there there will actually not be any cross node transactions because there's no need for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that a gives us um, it get, it actually gives our clients better peace of mind. It doesn't get it. I'm not concerned about client A being able to see client B's data because there's just no way there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but it gives clients better peace of mind to say, nope, your data is all in a separate database. No need to worry about it. No commingling. Um, no commingling. So um, that's essentially what, where I see the difficulty in sharding. Whereas in a document store, like I said, you just you say, okay, First 200 documents, you go over here. Next 200, you go over here and go from there. But the difficulty there is you've now taken all the, and and I, I, I may be taking us a direction we don't want to go yet, in that in doing, the reason it's so easy is that all the logic to actually process it is in your code. It's not up in the database. You know, so so we won't go there just yet because I don't think we're there yet. But so the next
0: item would be speed. And I really I mean, I get massive performance out of Postgres and I always got great performance out of SQL, MySQL and SQL server. Microsoft Access, no, they had the governor on it, but. Um, every time I've ever had to get in a scenario where, hey, the database is really slow, I would go in and find lack of indexes, crappy or ORMs um, that were inefficient on the what they were translating the SQL commands into, um, or poorly structured, or like excessive joins, um, excessive N plus one queries. Uh, too much data being requested when you only needed a a small chunk. Like every time a performance issue came up on hitting the database and getting the data back or read and writes was always a matter of poor architecture. Right. Um, And sometimes it was me and I was like, Oh, I should have done this better. And sometimes it was somebody else, but you know, you build it a certain way and then you learn like you don't pre-optimize. So, it wasn't anyone's fault, usually it's just like, oh, you didn't you didn't need to store every single event on a table that is now fifteen million rows and is indexed so heavily that a read write for an, an event on a browser is taking fifteen seconds to write.
1: Right. But I guess I guess document store advocates would say, but you had to spend time to do that. Yeah. um and 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 they don't feel you need to optimize as well as as much with a document store. you can get away with a bit more um it I I do it is there is performance implications using an rdBMs there's I, I don't think that's a question. Um, mm. I also don't think that the implications are significant enough to, Override all the positives that an RDBMS gives you over a, a document store.
0: Yeah, um, the here's some of the, the weirdness. Now is related to querying, like queer the way you query on. And this is going with Firestore. I don't know about Mongo, but I think Mongo is similar. Let's say you need to, so let's say you've got a table and it's got a person's um, name and their age. On Firestore, if you wanted to do a query that said, hey, give me everyone with the name, last name Vandemark that is under the age of 30. They actually create, on on real-time database, you actually have to, you have to manually create this weird join table that would take the last name underscore with the age and then you have to maintain that like you have to actually keep up the if the if the number if the age changes you have to go in and also update this weird join index thing you wrote right so that so that you can then sort like sort it by vandom like you have to you have to do your query so that you're looking at that index thing instead. Now the Firestore is nice because if you decide you want to do that query, you just tell Firestore, hey, I'm gonna do a query that includes these two values, and they create and maintain the index for you, that this new index row. But it's still ugly as sin. Like Right. The type of queries I ever have to do with relate with relational is I just have to figure out what is the SQL command for this. Not I need to create a freaking basically a new key value that in that tracks these two things together.
1: And it's, what you just what you just did was a very simple join. Yeah, um, when you have relational databases, there are there you've written them. I've written them. There are some very significant queries you write, and those just aren't possible in in document stores. Um, the best advice I've, I won't say best advice, the advice I've seen is pull all the data you need, and then in your code go ahead and slice it up the way you need it. Which, it, it it goes away from everything that, that, as relational database programmers, we've been taught. So maybe if you grow up in that world and, and you're educated in that world, it makes a little more sense. Um, but the database engine itself is optimized to do those queries. So I'm I feel fairly confident I can write an SQL query and it'll execute faster than... Uh, JavaScript code that's parsing all the data that I pulled from this document store. Um, now, y- you mentioned a couple different ones. You mentioned Mongo, which I'm going to put out here by itself, mm-hmm. and then Firebase Firestore, uh, DynamoDB. Um, from what I've seen working with the two different w- types, there are a lot. There's a lot richer language surrounding Mongo and there is surrounding the others. Um, I don't think it's maturity. I think it's, I think it's intentional. Um, And I think it has to do with the way that Amazon, Google, et cetera, are um, optimizing where they're storing the data. They can only allow you to do so much or else they can't optimize. to me it's like okay why 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 would i even it comes down to your performance has to be so significantly better and my data has to be so simple that that even makes sense
0: so then in that case the true benefit that i could see with firestore or dynamo is scaling like the, vo- the sheer volume, they both talk about, you don't have to wor- ever worry about giving us too much. Like we will we will automatically take care of that for you. And so you're really talking about a data model or data architecture that is lacking any kind of like big segmented objects in our models. You're really just kind of putting into one big chunk and, and I, think I, I think,
1: I think you've hit the, I think you've hit the difference. Okay. If your data needs are, I need five fields. That's all I need. I, I don't, I don't need really deep data. I don't need five levels of complexity in my data. I just need five fields, but I need a billion of them. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So a document store might make sense in that case but that sounds like a very specialized um, use case. So I, I do think relational databases are overused sometimes um, when, when there's a simpler answer, but what I don't hear enough of, and maybe we're starting to hear more now, what I don't hear enough of is, you know what? No SQL da- the, the no SQL database paradigm is not appropriate for what you're trying to do because your data is too complex. Yeah. So I think the answer is if you have complex data, you want to use an R uh, relational database. If you have a lot of non-complex data, you're looking at a document store. That makes more sense. I mean, even
0: like when we've talked about the chasm stuff, it's not a complex model. We have users for the directory and we have messages.
1: Right. And that, I think it can stay right where it is in a document store.
0: Yeah. Um, But other than that, everything else about document data stores is just, to me, just, I don't, I just am not seeing, I I like the, the ability to put constraints on the data, the columns and, the ability to specify data types um, better and right. the, con- the, the constraints work to me very well. And I'm just like, I guess the, maybe what you were talking about earlier um, about not getting into it, but stored procedures, is that where you're going? Is that where you were going? Sure. That's one okay. place to go. Sure. I mean, views. I mean, I've, I think I went on a, whole crazy um, love affair with materialized views because I had these queries that I needed to use on Postgres for analytical side stuff. And it was really painful to call those queries on the fly and get the data back. But I found if I pre-populated a view which only needed to be updated like once a day for the purposes of who needed the data. And then I would just say, Hey, refresh once a day. I had these completely denormalized tables that I could query without joins to get these reports. It was amazing. Right. Trem- right. It was just so awesome. And I mean, I was talking to my students, uh, I was substitute teaching last week and I was showing them like in, my, in MySQL Workbench, and someone was like, "What's a stored procedure?" And I was like, "Oh, it's a basically the query I just showed you. It's already cached on here. Like you don't have to do the query just say, you know, give me select all from this table by just calling that little stored procedure, and in a way that you know makes it so that you don't have to know SQL. You can just tell people." In you like connect to the database, call the stored procedure, you'll get the data you need. Don't worry about anything else. And I I remember right out of college, there was a woman that was her whole job was just managing stored procedures on a database at Budweiser or something, and she True. hated it. She, she hated it. But I was like, really? Like that's a whole job? She's like, oh, every you don't query the database with raw SQL. You, you always have to call something that I am managing. And so when someone comes up with a crazy query that's inefficient, it has to go through me. So they're using it as quality control on database hits,
1: uh, Right. Which uh, is an enterprise way to manage it. And I don't think yeah. you're going to have enterprise level document stores and, uh, except for really light level stuff. And, and yeah. that, that may be the answer. Is if you need a billion of something, go do a document store. Otherwise, it's relational, yeah. and it, it could be that simple.
0: Yep. Um, the only the, what the the one side of it, and I don't know about. I guess I haven't really looked at it. But what do you have available in relational on the Google Cloud or AWS? Does AWS like? Do you have to run your own? Server and install Postgres, or do they have? Does AWS have that now? I don't even know.
1: Uh, AWS has had that for a while. I'm trying to think. Uh, RDS, yeah, they've had RDS for for a long time. Um, and you can, when you're running RDS, you can put you can put Postgres on it. You can put MySQL, Maria, Oracle, uh, Microsoft, any any of those on it, um, and then just scale it that way. And, there's,
0: I and mean, really, are,
1: that's that must be what we're using when we use Heroku, right? Um, is is that's just passing off to RDS on Amazon?
0: Yeah, I mean, and then then there are services out there probably using Amazon themselves, but they will give you a relational database that you can access. I mean, you're going to pay a subscription fee, but you could still use that. I mean, the thing that I like a little bit is if you're using uh, if you're using a Firebase app all the transmission is free as long as you're using it on the Google Cloud so if if your app makes a request on the back end not the client but on the back end the app calls to a, a data store Any there's no cost to that wire call so to speak right um, now, going back to what you said earlier um, about the the inefficiency of queries, like, hey, grab all the data you need and then filter it on your client side, that's still costly on the way that they, they build some of these services because they're going to say, hey, you're transmitting gigabytes of data every month, uh, massive amounts, and you're going to pay for that. So your inefficient queries are costing you money if you do it sure. that way. So that's one significant strategy you got to think about if you're doing that. Um, but I, I believe both Amazon and Google basically say if you have your app in our infrastructure and you make a call to a service, I don't think you pay for the trans- the bandwidth, so to speak. You may pay per call or something, but you're not going to pay for bandwidth. Um, if it's on that same platform, but if you build in Firebase, right. if you build in Firebase and you call Amazon um, to the RDS that you set up as your backend as your persistence layer, I think you are going to be paying for bandwidth costs.
1: Well, and that's that—that's a concern. Is most most relational database pricing is the size of the database? Yeah. Um, and if you get outside that size, well, it's going to start, it's going to push back. Um, I, I don't think this is a significant con for document stores, but the document stores could go on forever and you'll never know, but you're getting charged by each one. Um, if I'm not mistaken, the way some of that is priced.
0: So anything else? I think I've complained enough about document stores and the cockamamie <laughs> indexes and queries. Um,
1: yeah, no, it, it was worth it's it's worth it. It's worth it's worth the work you're doing on chasms um, to dig in and understand. Um, if we had had this conversation six months ago, I, I'm not sure. A, I wouldn't have known the difference between DynamoDB, Firestore, and MongoDB. Um, Now I know that if I want any kind of featured uh, document store database, I'm going to stick with Mongo. Um, But I'm writing an Alexa skill right now, and they've got a really easy integration into their DynamoDB. So I'm going to use it, um, which means keep my models kind of light and not complex. But that fits what a skill needs. A skill doesn't really need a complex data model. So, It works and I'm glad, I'm glad we're finding places to use it.
0: Yeah. I I mean, to some degree, I expect that I can trust, we can trust that the providers will keep making it more efficient. So if you're, I mean, what we're finding out with chasms right now is we are like on Heroku, you have 30 seconds to reply to a request on Slack. You get three seconds. On voice, the user experience needs really fast responses. Right. So we can't spend a bunch of time processing a bunch of data um, to give the user a response because the user is expecting a conversation that with a device and they're not going to have... Like, you don't really... I haven't seen it so far where the... Uh, Alexa or Echo go, give me a second, give me a second. <laughs> you know, it's more, right, right, right expect, for sure. You expect a conversation where the, the other person is giving you back reply quickly. So right, right. that speaks to a data store that is optimized for that type of thing. And everything on the Amazon and Alexa side is telling us use these, tools. So that makes sense too.
1: Yeah. I, I, I question whether a non-complex relational database would be any slower. Um, non-relational, I'm sorry, a non-complex relational database that's optimized for this use case, I don't think would be any slower, but that's not the direction we're going. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I got it to work when I was using rails to build that Alexa, um, when I was forcing Rails to be on a Lux app, uh, back right? In. And it worked fast because I was being careful about, like you said, limited joins. And actually, I did denormalize the table so that the query that would come in and get the response quick. So,
1: and, and if you denormalize a, a relational database too far, you end up with a document store, right?
0: Essentially, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, which, but still.
0: I still like it better. (laughs) You'll have
1: a better querying language for it. (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: But, well, actually what I did is I just did the materialized view of the denormalized. Like I kept, like I, that's what I liked about the materialized views. I love the fact that I could create the transactional side completely in the normalized tables. And then I would create a materialized view that would represent the, the document data store side, the everything merged together and denormalized. And that was awesome because if I had a query that needed to be fast, I would just hit the materialized view, um, instead of the join versions of the normalized stuff. So uh, that's how I was getting around some of those join query problems. And it was I was satisfied with it. I don't know if it works if you need like I mean, map views aren't gonna work very well if you have to refresh the data constantly. Because it's truly like you're rebuilding the whole thing. But right. if you don't need the freshest data and that's okay from that view, then you're fine. So anyway, that's what I got. Anything else on your side for how No, like, I think I think it? I
1: think we could <laughs> Why? I think
0: we can complain about. Okay. All right, uh, then we will find some newer technologies next week to tell to get off
1: our lawn. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> let's Let's go put the hamsters back in the computers and and have them run the gear wheels for us and run this old kit technology. Maybe okay. we'll find a VAC system or something.
0: I just want to go back to Lotus 123 because I think that's there where it all began. <laughs> and it's a time we return to the things that work simple, simple, and clean.
1: All right. I'm going to go find a back system. You go find Lotus 123 and we'll meet back next week. Sounds great. All right. <laughs> See ya. Thanks for listening to This Old App. Show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website
0: at www.thisoldapp.online. Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. For questions, comments, or things you would like to hear on future shows, please email us at hello at thisoldapp.online. Show
1: music is Guns Blazing by Fab Claxton. Licensed by Pond5. Voiceover work by MeganVoices.com. You'll hear from us soon.